One of my favorite songs to karaoke to is American Pie, right? It's just so iconic and nostalgic. It's fun to sing. It's got a catchy melody. It's got all the right lyrics, except have you ever thought about the lyrics? Like, what in the world is Don McLean talking about? Like, you know, the day the music died. Like, what does that have to do with anything? Well, at least according to Wikipedia, this is what it's talking about. Uh, you, can, you can check my sources later. But apparently, he, Don McLean is referring to a plane crash that happened in 1959 that killed Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, and Richie Valens, which were like three of the top megastars, early rock and rollers. They died in 1959, and that was sort of the end of this era of early rock and roll. And then he goes on to sing, as you're aware, bye-bye, Miss American Pie, right? Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. Again, what in the world is he talking about? Apparently, coming on the heels of their death, this new era was issued in the 60s. I was not around in the 60s, but from what I have been told by my dad and others who lived through it, it was, you know, disillusionment, cynicism, hopelessness, questioning, what is the world, what's happening in the world? It feels like it's falling apart. Everything has been so steady, and now all of a sudden, all of life, all of America, all of my reality was fading into oblivion. The levee being dry, Miss American Pie dying was this American dream that everyone had hoped for dying. And he's expressing that in this song. And again, from what I've been told, I wasn't there, but I've experienced our day. I've experienced the hopelessness and the cynicism that exists in my own heart. Uh, I've experienced the way that so much of our community and our city and our world is falling apart. I've experienced swiping right on my phone and seeing bad news after bad news after bad news on my Apple news feed. Hope is very wanting. There's political, racial, socioeconomic, religious, sexual, all kinds of division. Everyone picking sides, let alone just normal work, parenting, family, health. Fear maybe would be a better word to characterize the majority of our experiences as we go from day to day to day. And as we end this Be Curious series where we've just been taking little snippets and watching how Jesus interacts with a variety of, of different kinds of people, we find ourselves on the other side of the resurrection. And even still, in the most amazing thing that has ever happened in the history of the world and ever will, yet again, we find ourselves and find people who have found a way to be hopeless in the middle of that. And the comforting thing is, we are also on the other side of the resurrection, and we also find ourselves hopeless most days, at least to varying degrees. So let's be curious one more time. Let's look at one more passage where we watch how Jesus works, how he thinks, how he acts, how he speaks, that he would draw us in to that same reality that he drew these two 
on the road to Emmaus. So I believe Susie Nash is going to come up and read our passage for us today. Everybody welcome up Susie. Oh, you don't have a mic. How are we going to do that? I guess you can go over there. <laughs> oh, no, wrong one. Hey, the Bible would be a great place to read from. Okay. Uh, it is there. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus drew near, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they said, still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer all these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures all the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village which they were, to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Susie. So week after week, Jesus has been pursuing all of these people. He's been pursuing his disciples. He's been pursuing those who he meets along the roadside. And today he pursues two people that, as far as we know at least, are not elsewhere mentioned in the New Testament. But they're described as disciples, followers of his, have, you know, 
undoubtedly seen some version of his miracle working power of his, you know, probably at least have heard if not were there at his crucifixion. And so we find ourselves in another place where there's a misunderstanding, where what we think that Jesus is going to do, Jesus zigs and we think he's going to zag, right? We think he's going one direction and he goes a completely different direction. But the really fun thing about this passage and why it's a perfect place to kind of round out this series is Jesus does a big zoom out here. And what he says right there in the middle proves a point to us that we're not born into this world believing and that we have to be constantly discipled to continue to live in the faith and the reality that it's true. And that is that Jesus is alive. Not just that he existed for 33 years and then died and was a great teacher, but what this passage tells us, when it, when it says that Jesus opened up the scriptures and pointed to all of the Old Testament and showed how every bit of it was about him, what that means is he's saying, I not only am with you right now, I am, I was, I will be. I am always eternal. We're not talking about a guy who lived for 33 years. We're talking about the second person of the Trinity who has always lived. And when we understand our story in the scope of this big one, that's where hope begins to bubble up. That's where a, a reality, a new lens by which we can view our life, can, we can begin to not be so stuck in whatever is right in front of us, whatever struggle is right in front of us, whatever place we feel most hopeless in our lives, the truth of scripture begins to pick our heads up and say, we are a part of something so much bigger than me or you. We are a part of something that spans the entirety of human history. And the more that we live into that story, the more that hope, purpose, meaning, identity begins to bubble up inside of our hearts. And that's our goal this morning is at least a little bit more. Holy Spirit, would you do that for us? So uh, very briefly, because we have a very full rest of the service, uh, we're going to hit these two points. One, the day the music died. Secondly, also the very same day, the day the party started. So the day the music died, these two disciples are on sort of this seven-mile slog back to their homeland. They've, they've left Jerusalem. Jesus died. They've been following this guy. The trajectory of what they thought was going to happen in their lives gets totally reoriented in a matter of hours. This isn't what was supposed to happen. We had all these expectations. We had all these hopes. We had all these dreams about what this man Jesus was going to do. And now it's just over. It's like if you've ever been you know, to a funeral, especially if someone who's close to you, there's that period right after the funeral where there's just that sense of like, where am I? What's true? Where, where am I going? There's that, that sense of displacement. And these two guys are feeling very displaced or these two people. Uh, we don't know whether they're men or women. Um, but they are very confused as to what exactly is supposed to, what are they supposed to do with their lives now? Because everything they had built their, their hope and their life on was falling apart. And all of a sudden, this chipper, seemingly oblivious guy comes like power walking up beside him. 
I can't describe in my head, at least that's what it looked like. I'm not sure what that actually <laughs> looked like, but it says Jesus came upon them. And then he starts to, to play a little bit with them, but in the, in the way that Jesus always does, where it's this questioning, it's, it goes all the way back to, this is the way God talks to his people. It goes all the way back to the garden. Man sins, runs away, hides. He says, where are you? Who told you you were naked? Drawing them out. And so in that same way, he's questioning. He's asking them, getting his people to talk so that they can even hear themselves. Have you ever talked so much <laughs> that you sort of talked yourself into a corner and realized, oh, that wasn't as well thought through as I thought it was? They do some of that kind of thing. And so he asked the question, hey, guys, what you talking about? Like, what, what's the big deal? Why, why are you so sad? And if you remember the moment in the sandlot when they're in the treehouse and uh, they're passing around s'mores, they're roasting them, you know, over the little fire. And then, you know, Smalls gets offered a s'more. You remember his response? He's like, how can I have some more? I haven't had any yet. And you remember their faces? Like, everybody's, their faces drop. Everyone stops what they're doing. And so in the very same way, there's, and okay, we'll just say, you're killing me, Smalls. Just had to, okay, I had to finish out the story. Um, and so in the same way, they're like, you're killing me, guy. They don't know that this is Jesus yet. In some mysterious way, he's uh, not revealed himself to them at this point. And then they do this great gospel presentation. They, they do this great, yeah, so there was this guy named Jesus, and he was a miracle worker. He was mighty in work and deed. And then everything was built on our hope that he was going to be this great Messiah who was going to ride into Jerusalem on his steed, and he was going to take everything over, and Roman oppression would be gone, and the new Israel would come, and we would be forever under our vine and our fig tree in the land of milk and honey. And then he died. And now we don't know what to do. And he says, okay, tell me more. And they continue to complete this whole gospel presentation. They get everything right. Here's the only thing they get wrong. Like all of us, we have a very hard time connecting suffering with glory. We have a very hard time connecting death with hope. Those two things seem mutually exclusive. They, they don't seem like they can exist within the same space. The, Proverbs 12, or sorry, Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Their hope had been very deferred, but they did not have a category that a hope deferred is not a hope defunct. Just because there is a period of waiting in your season of suffering does not mean that there is no end to your suffering. Whatever issue, struggle, suffering you find yourself in today, those things feel like they're never going to end. I get it. Been there, am there, will be there. What Jesus is calling us into is that it is possible 
for those two things to coexist and actually for one to feed the other and without the one, you can't have the other truly. Waiting is one of those things that's like every kid knows that waiting is the worst. And then you never really grow out of that. Kids, how much do you love waiting on Christmas morning? How much do you love waiting on your birthday? If my wife were here right now, Sarah Kemp, how much do you love waiting on your husband who's super slow at everything? <laughs> waiting is the worst. But baked into creation is this whole idea of death, waiting, and new life. You see it everywhere. I, there's these trucks that drive around compost Nashville. All they're doing is taking all of your old, you know, banana peels and coffee grounds and putting it in a big vat somewhere and sitting it out in the sun. And all that dead stuff goes into the earth, begins to work itself. And then what comes out of that? This amazing soil that they drive back for $45 a month and drop at your door. You could do that by yourself, by the way. I'm sorry if somebody who is in here runs that thing. Uh, I'm new. Don't hurt me. Um, or steak. Who doesn't love steak? Some of you probably don't. I'm, I'm making all sorts of assumptions today. I'm really sorry. Um, but, okay, just go with me. The, the death of an animal with proper preparation leads to a healthy, wholesome meal for your family. Baked into all of creation is the, Paul then brings this out and says, you think that's just sort of in, in those things that happen that like flowers, you know, come up and, and those kind of things? No, he says, I'm telling you, this is what all of life is about. This is going to be on the screen behind me. This is very important for us to, to be able to <laughs> live in the reality of what actually is. That I may know him, the goal of Paul's life, that I may know him, and the power of his, that is Jesus' resurrection, here it is, may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by all means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. There is no resurrection unless there is death. There is no glory if there is not suffering. This is why every good story, every story that is a story has both the bad news and the good news. And this is the same way that we live our everyday, but we forget because we want our expectations fulfilled now. We want bitter, better, bigger, better, stronger, up and to the right for our entire life. And then how dare my circumstances, how dare my family get in my way? How dare my boss do that to me? How dare my body break down like this? How dare God? But that is the very moment when we are at our lowest, when suffering has come upon us in a way that we can't weasel our way out of. That is the invitation from Jesus to say, yes, die with me. And I will raise you up. And that is what he calls us. That's what he's calling uh, these two disciples into today. And that's what he calls it, us into this morning. Here's the key. Verse 26, Jesus pulls back the curtain and he says, you guys, you, you missed it. 
And he tells us today, you guys, you're missing it. Jeremy, you're missing it. The suffering in your life is meant for your and my glory. And I want to shake it off as often as it comes upon me. And then he opens, starting with Moses, which if we, uh, you know, we could take all, that all the way back to Genesis. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So Genesis 3, he peels open the pages and he says, hey, you guys remember when Adam and Eve sinned? You remember when they were naked and ashamed and then God killed an animal and covered their nakedness and their shame? That was pointing to me. You remember in, in Genesis 7 when the land was flooded, but God saved a remnant of his people through an ark? That was a picture of me. You guys remember in Exodus 12 when a lamb was killed, a perfect spotless lamb, and the blood was put over the doorposts, and everyone in that house was safe as the angel of death passed over? That's me. You guys remember the entire book of Leviticus? Have you ever slogged through that one? You ever fallen asleep in the middle of reading Leviticus? You guys remember the entire sacrificial system of killing animals for the guilt of mankind? It's pointing to me. You, you remember reading Psalm 22, dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. You don't have to try too hard to find Jesus in that one. You remember Isaiah 6? When Isaiah sees God and, and his response to seeing the holiness of God is, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm among a people of unclean lips. Ugh. And then an angel comes and touches his lips, those same unclean lips with a hot coal, making them clean. He's talking about me, Jesus says. Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He's crushed for our iniquities. His chastisement brought us peace. By his wounds, we're healed. Jesus had to die for the sins of his people. They couldn't be swept under the rug. He wouldn't be a just, holy God. Jesus had to be resurrected or death would still reign over this land and reign over you and I. He had to ascend so that his spirit would come to do greater works, Jesus says, than even he has done through his people. And to apply his work way back then to a people sitting in this room and kneeling at these kneelers today. He had to do those things. And this is what he's saying. is All of this suffering, my suffering, my death, my resurrection, it had to happen. And here's what he says to you. Your own suffering, your own death, your own resurrection in those little metaphorical ways as you live this life following Jesus. Or if you're asking the question, is this worth it to follow Jesus? His answer is yes, but his answer is this thing's narrow and bumpy and hard. It's not a ticket to an easy life, it's a ticket to a harder one. But it's a ticket to one that is so much more filled with hope and joy and peace than what you can find 
anywhere else or where you can try to find searching it inside yourself. But even after this amazing sermon, they still don't get it. And so it's getting dark, the sun's going down, and they say, hey, man, you know, you just, you just preached like a seven-mile sermon to us. You're, uh-oh, you're, uh, you're probably pretty tired. So why don't you just come over to our house? We'll, you know, we'll make you some food, chill for the night, and then you can head out in the morning. And he's like, okay, great. So goes over to their house, sits at their table. One of the things that we don't know, but maybe... They were there when Jesus multiplied the fish and the loaves, and in the very same way, he broke that bread, and they looked at him. And something about the way that that happened, and even more so, the Spirit of God in that moment revealed Jesus to themselves. Here's the point. For us to believe that suffering leads to glory, we can't muscle that up. A sermon up here is not going to do that in your heart. Only the Holy Spirit can convince you of that. And so we've got, we've got to be solely dependent on him if you want to have that kind of hope. I can't give it to you. I can meet with you. I can, we can you know, go to lunch once a week, and it won't help if the Spirit of God doesn't do something. And so the Spirit of God breaks in to this reality and, and opens their eyes to not only the Jesus that's in front of them, but the Jesus that always has been and always will be with them. And he does the same for us at this very table. And as he breaks this bread, and as he pours this cup, he invites you to come, and he invites you to believe that his death is exactly what had to happen. And his death is the best news for your life. It is the very thing that can bring resurrection hope now and resurrection hope forever. Suffering is the path to glory. Death is the path to life. So Holy Spirit, we pray that through this very ordinary thing that we're about to do that has extraordinary potential in our hearts, Holy Spirit, would you meet us at these kneelers? Would you meet us at this table? Would you meet us in our seats that we could believe, have the faith to believe that's a gift from you, that this is true, that this is reality. Jesus, past, present, future is all of reality. He holds everything together by a word. Would we believe? Help our unbelief. We pray in Christ. Amen. So this, you couldn't have a better segue to what we're about to do as we take communion together. Um, but in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul also, as he disciples his people and as he disciples us, he says, I also want you to take care about how you come and remember my death and remember my resurrection. Because there's, there's the question before us, what does his death mean to you? Have you come to a place where it's not just sort of words on a page that you, you know, learned in Sunday school when you were five? Have you come to the place where this is an everyday reality of Jesus not only, uh, not only did die, but he had to die for me? So if you've come to that place 
If you've said, yes, I am a sinner in need of the mercy of Jesus, and he has poured that out for me on the cross, then I invite you to come. Secondly, this is not just a midtown thing. All the campuses this morning are celebrating communion together, which is a really beautiful thing about being a part of this church. But this is not only our thing, right? This is happening across the world, people coming together to taste and see that he's good. But what that says is that there is a unity to this. And so you don't have to be a part of this church, but are you around other people, whether it's this church or somewhere else, where they can point to you and say, that guy, that girl, they're following Jesus. And you can also point to them and say, they're, they're following Jesus too, because there is a unity to this table. If we could, we'd put a giant table in the middle of this room and all sit around it. That would be a better image of what this is about. If those two things are true of you this morning, I invite you to come. If those are not true of you, that is a perfect opportunity. Feel no shame about that. Feel the welcome of Jesus maybe for the first time today. Would the Holy Spirit use that as an opportunity to break through that you could come here hungry next month? So here's how we're going to do this. Um, As the servers come up here in a minute, We'll come down the center aisles, circle back around. You can drop uh, your little plastic cups in those trash cans on the way back to your seat. You you can make your way up to the kneelers. Take a little bit of time to reflect on both his death and his resurrection. What does that mean for you? How does that give you hope to pursue through and to persevere through whatever suffering you may be finding yourself in today? bring those things to Jesus. And then when you're ready to receive communion, you can open your hands. If you need prayer, if you need someone else to speak into those places where you don't have the eyes to see or even have the words for yet, we'd love to help you. Uh, and so you can cross your arms if you'd like prayer and, uh, and we can pray with and for you. Um, and then after you take, you can make your way back. And then use that time as you sit back in your seats to continue uh, to think on the glory that is on the other side of every one of our lives when we meet Jesus and be with him forever. So the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. So, Father, we ask that you would meet your people here. As we kneel before you or sit before you or pace in the back, whatever helps us to be in a posture where we're reflective and thoughtful about who you are and what you're doing in our lives, would you? Holy Spirit, do the thing that we can't do. We can't change our own hearts. So meet us in the still, small voice of a Father who loves us, of a Son who died for us, and a Spirit who never leaves us. And we pray this in your name.